Peace. The end of enmity. The conclusion of conflict. It declares that strife is over and weapons are laid down. Even while we warred against our Creator, He sent His Son to bring us peace. In the Child of Promise, peace was personified. He would shoulder our burdens and pay the price for our failures. The lighted candle of peace reveals Emmanuel, God with us. In Jesus alone, we have the promise of everlasting harmony with God. Well, I get the uh, distinct privilege today to introduce our our guest speaker, who for many of you doesn't need an introduction. Uh, I said last uh, fall when we had O.S. Hawkins here that O.S. is a house favorite, and uh, I very clearly said he's a house favorite. The guy we have today would be best described as the house favorite. Uh, Tom Schrader is our guest speaker today. No, stay seated. I'm not done. So. I worked hard on my introduction of Schrader today. You know, I, probably the best way to introduce Tom is to tell you what he's not, because usually when pastors are introduced, you, you talk about their doctorate. Uh, Tom doesn't have a doctorate. He barely made it out of the University of Iowa. And, uh, and, or they'll tell you about the books that they've written. Tom hasn't written any books. They'll tell you about the megachurch that they are now pastoring. Tom did pastor a megachurch, but no longer is he doing that. None of those things appear on Tom's resume right now. Here's, if you're visiting day, what you need to know about Tom Schrader, who speaks here quite often. He is hands down, in my opinion, the most down-to-earth, authentic, gifted, passionate teacher of the Word of God that I have ever heard. So let's give a great Scottsdale Bible welcome to Tom Schrader. Now, now. Thanks, Jamie. That's, a, that's too much. Thank you. Thank you very much. That is really kind. Jamie uh, didn't tell you the whole story. I haven't written a book, but I did read one. And uh, I was pretty impressed with that. So uh, to be here, and it only makes sense, it's the counterbalance of what Jamie said. To be here is, is really a, a treat for me. Uh, I have a chance to go to a lot of different churches, and there's nowhere that I feel more at home or more accepted uh, than at Scottsdale Bible Church. And that's uh, through Jamie and the elders and the staff and then all of you. And so it feels a little like a love fest here, but uh, it's just great for me to be with you today and to be uh, continuing the Advent series. Uh, Jamie, last week when he introduced the series, talked about the four characteristics that we derive from the uh, nativity narrative. And that is hope. That's what Jamie talked about last week. Peace. That's what I talk about today. Then joy. And then love. And uh, I... I I don't know if it's because I'm getting older. I just had a birthday. And the good news is we've kept the gift receiving line open so you can still get your gifts in. Not too late. 
Um, but as I reflect on, on Christmas, and maybe this year, I was telling somebody the other day, I'm kind of hardcore. No trees, no music, no anything until after Thanksgiving. But, I know. But this year, I broke all those rules. And, and I think it's because I was yearning for something that's a little bit of, I don't know, nostalgia and stability in the midst of a world that seems to be getting progressively kind of out of balance. And so I was thinking about a bunch of different ideas that just come rushing to my mind. And I actually took some pictures and I'm gonna put them up and it probably uh, needs to go quickly, but my hope was it might connect to maybe your memories specifically or unlock some others. Our Christmas always started with a, tri a trip to the Christmas tree lot. And you see, this one was sponsored by the Kiwanis. It might be by the Elks or one of the schools. And we would go into this crowded lot. I'm the oldest of four boys. We would usually go on a night after my dad got off work, dark, cold, miserable, four boys running all over. Uh, my dad had, and I want to get the camera right, this much patience. <laughs> and at a Christmas tree lot with four boys, he had that much patience. So we would go in with the best of intentions, and then we'd end up with a tree. Our tree always looked like this one. <laughs> that was our tree. And he would get it home, and he couldn't get it up, and it was always, always an ordeal. But it was a tradition. And, and along the lines of tradition was this. My mom would make oyster stew, and it would fill the house with this stench that, that we, it, it took a week to get rid of this smell. No one would eat it but my dad, and he would drown it in oyster crackers. And, and then he'd eat the crackers and leave the bowl. But it was a tradition. You had them, some version of that, some Minnesota baked fish or whatever it was you had. Here was my good thing, food-wise. Popcorn balls. I love, and you don't see them around anymore. If you do, they're those hand-packed perfect ones that, that, that don't taste right. But these were molasses and caramel, and they were terrific. And then we get to the tree. This was my favorite decoration. It, it, it would heat up, and then this would bubble up. And, and I would sit. This is maybe a comment on on me or what we had. I would sit for hours and look at that deck. I love that decoration. I first saw it at my grandma's house and then I uh, got one for our tree. And at my grandma's house, in the window, she had these candles. And, and I would see them and they just, they just reek of Christmas in the best sense of the word. Sandy has those in, in our home right now. And you think gifts, here's the first big one I think. I wanted a basketball, and I got it. It wasn't a Hawkeye basketball, 
but I figured I'd get a little plug for the Hawks in. It would be just good for, for you. And then a bike, and this was exactly the bike I got. It was a Swin. It had on the back this kind of book rack that you put things in, and the first bump you hit, everything came flying out of that. I don't know if I couldn't work it right or it didn't work right. And then this was a big one. This is not just a first baseman's mitt. This is a Norm Larker first baseman's mitt. And, and when I put that thing, I don't look like it. I was a decent athlete, but baseball was my best sport. But you give me that Norm Larker mitt and you put me at first base and nothing got by me. Now, it's interesting to me, as, as you look at those, I'm in Davenport, Iowa at the time. As you think of basketball, because we would play outside, we'd go up early in the morning and shovel the court, then let the sun hit it for a while and let it kind of melt. But, but the basketball and the bike and the first baseman's mitt were things I wanted in spring and my dad said, you'll get them when Santa comes. We don't do that anymore, do we? If somebody wants something, they get it. That's why buying gifts are so hard. And so you're getting skydiving and all sorts of other stuff because everything you want or need, you get along the way. When I got to my senior year of high school, here was the gift. I love this baby. Put those on, spread those speakers out. And I, 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 I was Jefferson Airplane at that point. <laughs> but, but the thing, and uh, hopefully that's fun, but, but I remember Christmas cards. And I, I, I love Christmas cards. I love Christmas letters. I love the pictures. I love to look at them. Interestingly enough, Sandy and I don't send them out, um, but I love to get them. And we would get, uh, I, I, it seemed like hundreds of cards, and my mom would tape them across the fireplace and around the door, and then she'd collect them, and she'd sit down in January, and she'd have a stack of these cards. She'd get the cards, and then she'd get the list of people we sent cards to. And if we sent a card and didn't get a card, <laughs> for my mom, my mom was a tough lady. And, and for whatever reason, in my mind, it's like fresh as can be, iconic is this card. Uh, even the look, it was blue, sometimes it'd be silver on it, and it was peace on earth, my, my topic today. And then when you opened it up, it, it was the verse from Luke 2.14. And so I want to deal with maybe a little bit of a misconception about this idea of peace. And, and it comes from the King James translation of Luke chapter 2, verse 14. King, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And it seemed like that translation picked up steam and became more and more goodwill toward all men. 
Along come more recent translators and correct what many think was a little bit of a mistranslation. Let me show you this from the NASB. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men, not all men, but men with whom he is pleased. It's the same idea in, in the NIV. Peace on those on whom his favor rests. In the message, the paraphrase, peace to all men and women on earth who please him. Uh, commenting on this verse, John MacArthur writes this. This is not to be taken as a universal declaration of peace toward all humanity. So a better rendering here might be peace toward men on whom God's sovereign pleasure rests. God's peace is not a reward for those who have goodwill, but a gracious gift to those who are object of God's goodwill. So the question becomes really quickly, are you one of those with whom God is pleased? Do you please him? Now, that verse, Luke uh, chapter 2, verse 14, needs a little context. So let's go back, Luke chapter 2, verse 6. While they were there, it's Mary and Joseph, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in clothes, laid him in a manger, because there's no room at the inn. It's really a very ordinary birth, minus the location. She wrapped him in clothes. As I read and study, I'm told that that was the normal thing you did with a newborn babe. They wrapped each limb individually and then wrapped the baby, making the baby feel secure and safe. Verse 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the field and keeping their watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord showed around them. And they were terribly frightened. I, I, I wrote this simple sentence. I assume that's a somewhat common reaction to a visit by an angel. <laughs> and then I'm frightened. So verse 10, the angel said, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news. This is good news, this story that's unfolding. The birth of Jesus. Good news of great joy, which will be for all people. This is not just for the rich or the religious or in our context, for the white or the wealthy. It's for all people. And it seems that the story emphasizes that point by the angel appearing to the lowest on their kind of system and values, the shepherds. Today in the city of David, there has been born for you, and here's the key word, a savior who is Christ the Lord. You'll have a savior 
He comes, he saves, he delivers, he rescues you. It's good news for all of us. There's an opportunity to find deliverance from what? Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. When he, this is Joseph here, had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Joseph's just discovered that Mary's pregnant. Uh, he's had the most human of reaction. He knows he hasn't been with her. So he's going, and he's, who is it? I bet it's that Mort. I never trusted Mort. <laughs> I'm always suspicious of Mort. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who's been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid. And let me take you to the next step, verse 21. She'll bear a son, and you will call him Jesus, for he will save his people. You and I have an opportunity, and, and, and get this, a necessity to be saved and rescued. From what? My, my fear is that sometimes in our discussion of Jesus and his saving us and his rescuing us, we, we think maybe he's rescuing us from a bad marital situation or a bad business situation or some debilitating addiction that we have or, or he's saving us to give us purpose and meaning and, and, and direction in an otherwise unfulfilled life. No, he's saving us from our fundamental problem, which is sin. We come into the world, and I want to be as clear as I can be, we come in separated from God because of our sin. So, so that my fundamental problem is not I drink too much or, or, or not I'm a, a lousy husband or a jerk. My fundamental problem is sin. I, I don't need to come to Jesus to quit drinking. I can go to AA and do that, maybe. But my problem at the root is this thing called sin. And I'm a big sinner. Now, I added the, the next verse, verse 22, to, to make a, a grander point. Now, all this took place to the fulfillment what was spoken by the Lord through the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and shall call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Here's a huge point to make. God's in control of this. This is all part of God's plan. He, he didn't all of a sudden say, gee, I, I had this plan, but it's not going to work. I need to go to plan B. We were at dinner the other night with some friends. And they're old friends. And we inevitably talk politics and economics in the world. 
and we were going through, you can fill in the blanks and figure out the conversation. And, and Sandy is very quiet, which I expect. And then she said, it, it's, it's good to know that God's in control. It's good to know that who's ever president, Jesus is still king. And, and she says that all the time. That, by the way, is kind of the end of the conversation. <laughs> Not much left after that. And she just kills it with that every time. And I, and I say to her, I know that, but that doesn't mean we don't talk about these things. And maybe you're here today and you need to be reminded of that very simple truth that God is in control. It, it may feel like things are careening out of control. They're beyond your control or my control, but they're not out of God's control. Verse 12, back to Luke's story. This will be a sign. You will find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. That's going to be the sign. Ordinary, plain, the only thing that, that might tell you this is the baby we're talking about is that he's in an unusual place. If I just said it's a baby wrapped in clothes, that would virtually be everybody born in Bethlehem at that time. But you're going to find him in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude. How many is that? I don't know, more than a handful, more than a small, a multitude, a choir of heavenly hosts, and they're praising God. And this is what they're saying. Glory to God of the highest, and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. That's the message. That's the good news. Jamie, last week, when he uh, taught about hope, made a, made a point that's really important in our discussions. Let's define these terms. We use terms all the time and, and never take the moment to define them. Here's how Webster defines peace, freedom from disturbance, quiet, tranquility, synonyms, calmness, quietness, restfulness. Webster's second definition is this, freedom from or the cessation of war or violence. One author offers this definition of peace. It is the result of resting in a relationship with God. Peace is more than an absence of conflict. It's the tranquil state of a soul fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of what so sort that is. It's a kind of equilibrium that comes from trusting that everything is in the hands of God. When we start talking about hope and peace and joy and love, 
We're talking really theological truths and realities. That last paragraph's too long for me. Here's my definition of peace. It's not the absence of turmoil. It's the presence of God. Your life as a follower of Christ, okay? If we were at summer camp with the students, we'd say, look up here, okay? Look up here. Your circumstances are not going to be just smooth and easy. They're not going to get trajectory better. Your life is still going to go like this. But in the midst of those ups and downs and questions, there's the reality of the presence and the control of God. That's why there's hope. That's why there's peace. That's why there's joy. That's why there's love. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you've been, this is what the angel prophesied, you've been saved, delivered, rescued through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a, here you go at Christmas, not a gift you give, but a gift you've received. It's a gift, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. In, in the simplest of terms, here's the sentence that says it all. Three words. God saves sinners. If we were to diagram that sentence, I don't know. When, when I was in school, we diagrammed sentences. I get the sense today they try to get them to read them. I'm not sure where to diagram it. But I diagram sentences under the authority of the Sisters of Mercy. And their deal, they had a, a ruler they used, oftentimes for drawing lines, uh, almost as often for whacking you with this ruler. And when you diagrammed a sentence, they wanted those lines straight, precise. And I remember diagramming sentences and thinking, this is the dumbest thing in the world. I'm never going to use that. And I remember one night saying to my dad, he was a banker, saying, did you diagram sentences at the bank today? <laughs> and he would say, come here, pop, don't be tugging. It's not time to think. So if we diagram this simple sentence, God is the subject, the noun, the actor. Saves is the predicate, the verb. Here you go. And this, if you're ever in a sentence, this is what you want to be, the direct object. You have no responsibility. You're just hanging out. Whatever happens, happens to you. God saves sinners. You me. See how that comes together? That's where the peace is. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Now, if we were doing this like a weekly continuing television show, we would begin with previously in the book of Romans. Previously in the book of Romans, Paul says, Romans 3.23, all of us have sinned. It's you, me, everyone who's ever lived. 
We come into the world, not a child of God, but a child of wrath, needing to be rescued. The wage of sin is death. When the Bible speaks of death, the Bible speaks of three things. Spiritual death, separation from God. Physical death. As sure as we've all seen, we'll all die. I uh, was thinking of my mom. I think of her often. I haven't uh, talked to her. She can't talk on the phone. And uh, I haven't talked to her in a year, year and a half. But one of the last times I was home, I had the girls with me, and we were going back, and we'd go back to go to Kinnick Stadium and see the Hawks for a football game. And we're sitting at the table with my mom. And my mom's got her watch on, and she takes it off, and she winds the watch. And my daughter, Haley, said, what are you doing? She'd never seen this before. What are you doing? And, and my mom explained, well, I'm, I'm winding the watch. And then she pulled the stem out, and she said, this is how you set the time. And she pushed it in, and she won. And Haley was absolutely blown away by this. And then Haley said, and just instinctively, can I have that when you're done with it? She didn't mean anything by it. My mom laughed and said, hey, you mean when I die? Haley didn't have to parse and say, well, I wonder if grandma's gonna die or I wonder if grandma's not gonna die. As a result of sin, we all experience physical death and eternal death if we stay in that same situation. But we've been reconciled to God. We were enemies. Let, let, me, let me get this for you because it's such a, a powerful trifecta in Romans chapter 5. I wonder if everybody's ever described Romans 5 as a trifecta. <laughs> Romans chapter 5, Paul tells us in verse 1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Romans 5, 8, or I'm sorry, 5, 6, 8, 10. While we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 8, God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10, we were enemies with God, but we were reconciled through the death of his son, Jesus. That's the condition we were in. We, we were not a group of people who were deserving of being rescued. God saved you. This, to me, this thought becomes hugely motivational. God saved you in spite of you, not because of you. God saved you while you were helpless, while you were a sinner. Romans 5.8, he demonstrated his love for you. Max Licato writes this beautiful and pretty simple sentence about the Christmas story. He said, the story of Christmas 
is the story of God's, and, and I love this world, relentless love for you. God loved you. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, what do you do when you love? That he gave. He gave Christ. This Christmas can't be separated from Easter. I can't take the birth of Jesus and separate it from the very reason he came, the crucifixion and the resurrection. Last week, when I almost said, when we launched the Christmas season, I wasn't part of it, but last week, when the worship team launched the Christmas season, the first song they sang was, Heart the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King. Peace on earth and mercy mild. What? God and sinner reconciled. If I say this to you, if I say Jamie and I have been reconciled, that's all you know. Jamie and I have been reconciled. Then from that, you can deduce that there were pre-existing hostile conditions. We couldn't be reconciled if we weren't first separated. We've been reconciled, so we have peace with God. I was at war with him, but all of a sudden I have peace. All of a sudden I'm connected with him again, so I have peace with God, so I have the peace of God. I uh, enjoy reading history, biographies. And, and so often when an author will write about their moment of conversion, they'll talk about how that night they had the best night sleep that they've had in years. There was a guy, his name was Harold Hughes, and he was the ultimately a governor from the, of the state of Iowa, senator, ran for president. He wrote a book, The Man from Ida Grove, and he was a trucker, and he was an alky, and, and he talks about being in a bathtub with a shotgun in his mouth, ready to kill himself, and then God saved him at that moment. God opened his eyes to see that truth. And he talks about the peace that just overwhelmed him. And he went from the alcoholic truck driver to the governor's mansion in, in like five years. Now again, his fundamental problem wasn't the booze. His fundamental problem was he was alienated from God. But, but I wanted to add, and I've got four minutes and 21 seconds. I, I wanted to add the takeaway of this. It's not just peace and established relationship with God. It's now I've been reconciled, but he's given me the ministry of reconciliation and you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19, all these things are from God who, and this is the summary, reconciled us 
to himself through Christ. Okay, he sent Jesus. He opened your heart. He brought you into relationship with him. And you've been reconciled. But that's not the end of the story. If all God wanted to do was get you to heaven, he would have taken you at the moment you believed. But he's got a plan. His plan is to continue to deliver this message of peace to the world. And he's going to use you in the process. He gave you the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Verse 19, not counting their trespasses against them, he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. Jamie mentioned it when he was uh, talking about the Christmas experience and the program and how people are open to conversation this time of year. This is your opportunity. And, and, and let me take a little pressure off. Not calling you to save the world, but calling you to live and proclaim the gospel in your world, your neighborhood. You're to be a peacemaker. You're to bring harmony and peace into a relationship at work at the gym, the office. Here, I'll give you a big one. I don't know if you can handle this one. At the Homeowners Association. <laughs> that, 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 that's a tougher one. But you bring peace to that. Because you're not fighting and arguing about things that don't matter. You're to live in such a way, Jesus said, that people see your good works. So I'm supposed to be able to see that there's something different about you. Not odd, different. <laughs> something different about you. You handle business different. You handle success differently. You handle broken deals differently. And there should be, and I say this not to dump guilt on you, but, but to give you a target, there should be a steady stream of people, I don't know what that means, but there should be a steady stream of people in your life coming to you saying, there's something different and unique about you. What is it? And you say, is Jesus, okay? It's Jesus that's different. There's a peace here, not the absence of turmoil, but the presence of God. So we go back to where we began, Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Peace on earth among men with whom he's pleased, with people who please him. So, so we ask the question, what does it mean to please him? Well, it's impossible to please God without faith. To believe Jesus is who he said he was, and you're who he says you are. You're a great savior, a sinner in need of a great savior. Does everybody please God? No, but the question becomes, and most important question you'll ever deal with, do you please him? Are you a child of the king? 
Have you come to him in repentance and faith? And if so, you're his instrument to this lost and dying world. So it's so easy at Christmas to get swept away, I think, and little baby Jesus, meek and mild. And I got that. But also, God is a God who hates as well as love. He hates sin. He'll judge sin. There's a wrath of God. So Jesus comes, and I'm saved by God. Here's the one we don't always connect. I'm saved by God, from God, for God. That's what peace, at least in my mind, when Jamie gave me the topic, that's exactly what I thought of. So I can wish you peace at this Christmas season. Let's pray for that. Father, thank you for Jesus who came so that we can have life, we can have it abundantly, who loved us and understood that love isn't passive, but it's active, and he sent his son to die so that we could have eternal life. I, I pray for those who are here for whom this is a whole brand new message. And in all likelihood, I raised more questions than I answered. Would you cause those people to talk to the ones who invited them? Or the people who were on campus with tags on saying, how can we help? The greatest help we can give you is to share this good news with you. God, and to those of us who understand this message, don't let it become so familiar that it grows stale. God, thank you that we have peace with you. And so we can take this message of reconciliation to the world around us. God, we love you because you first loved us. And we praise you this morning and we worship you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.